Today's Armed Viewpoints podcast is about something I know you will have heard a lot about in the last year or two, the metaverse. In this episode, we have two very special guests that will walk us through what the metaverse means, and then we'll explore its full potential. Our first guest is Matt Griffin. Matt is a futurist and both the founder and CEO of the World Futures Forum and the 311 Institute, a global futures and deep futures consultancy working between the dates of 2020 to 2070. Matt is also a return guest to this podcast. So welcome back, Matt. Thank you very much. Great to be back. And joining Matt in our discussion today is Remy Potier, Director of Innovation at ARM. Remy has more than 20 years of experience in strategy, new business incubation, new business ventures, business development, and marketing of high technology innovation. His work involves looking at multi-horizon innovation from defining long-term futurist scenarios to the exploration of how these scenarios can emerge from the current reality. Welcome, Remy. Thank you. Thank you. So to get things started, why don't we define terms? Let's start with the word metaverse. So perhaps you could kick it off, Matt, and then uh, Remy. Yeah. Okay. So actually, I think it's a really good question. And when we actually have a look at defining the metaverse, I think it's important for the listeners to actually understand that about six months ago, so that's six months ago, in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, the word metaverse didn't actually have any definition whatsoever. Okay, so on the one hand, this shows just how fast technology and trends actually evolve and come, you know, come to fruition. Um, however, you know, if we are talking about definitions, my preferred definition for the metaverse is the coming together of the physical, digital, and virtual worlds in a way that eventually will seem seamless. So, Remy, what do you think of that? Yeah, I like I like this definition, and we've been spending a lot of time actually to create our own definition. To be sure that we include, you know, all the inputs we get from our partners here. But I think the shortest definition I could come up with is the metaverse is the ultimate stage of digitization of every industry. And I think uh, there are two important aspects here. First, it kind of says that it's a continuation, so the next stage. It's a continuation, an evolution of current digitization of our industries. So First kind of aspect here, it's not an evolution, it's not a revolution, it's an evolution. And two, um, it's for all industry and all type of experience. So there will be no one left behind. So every workplace or live experience will have some form of metaverse component. So that's kind of where we kind of come up with, but in the end, you know, it was not sufficient. So it's not describing enough so we've come up with another one, which is the metaverse is a massively scale and interoperable network of real-time render virtual worlds, where our work, play, and live reality is infused by multimodal immersive digital experience. Well, this one is a bit more longer and more difficult to follow, I admit. But there are a few words uh, that are important here. So the first one is the metaverse is. What we want to say is it's a reality today. Um, massively scale and interoperable network of real-time render virtual worlds. And worlds, it's important. So the metaverse is a collection of worlds, not one world, but maybe multiple worlds. And, and the world, the world, world <laughs> is important as well here because it's not about, you know, just where people are browsing some internet website. It's about living an experience. 
And I think that, that that's a pretty important aspect here. And finally, uh, multimodal immersive, infused by multimodal immersive digital experience. What we want to say here is that spatial and 3D visually are going to be very important, but not exclusive. Um, and we probably will come up to that point later on. I think you make a good point about the word is, because uh, I know there's been a lot, a lot of media interest and coverage around the metaverse, but um, a lot of that seems to be hype, although some of it seems to be reality. So maybe Remy, you could kind of speak to that. How much is, like is today, uh, and how much of it is, is hype and how much of it is just kind of predictions about the future? So Remy, if you could kick that off and then maybe Matt, you could tackle it. Yeah, uh, probably we take three quick examples here. So the metaverse is clearly a reality for certain market and certain company today. Pick industrial metaverse where you have companies like Autodesk, Nvidia, BMW. And they create digital twin, a full factory floor to train AI in this metaverse, train robots in virtual warehouse, educate workers, you know, that's very real. And it's kind of this journey started already a few years ago, you know, with industry IoT and, you know, industry 4.0. So it's, it's an evolution uh, here. Uh, the second example is also very real for companies like Peak Roblox, Unity, Epic Game. They are, you know, their experience creation platform and 3D engine are generating billions in revenues, you know, just on the platform itself. And when you know they are just picking a small portion of the revenue generating on the platform, it's, it's pretty real business here. And the third one I will, I will pick is think about brands and digital marketing. You know, it's new marketing channel where you can have access to your existing or potentially new customer base. And it makes, I think, a lot of sense for brands here. And specifically because it's a very small step to switch, you know, part of your digital marketing budget to metaverse related budget. And clearly a place where you can reach new customer and, and in a different way, for, of course. And, and even, you know, some of them, you know, I thought it was very, very interesting was, was they can test virtual product just before they go on, I mean, they go and build it in the physical world. So very interesting place to, to do stuff and very real for these people. So Matt, your, your thoughts? Yeah. So on the one hand, you know, when we are, when we sort of say today that the metaverse is real, you know, it's kind of a bit of an idiom, let's face it, because technically the metaverse isn't real. You know, that's the whole point. You know, when we're, actually, <laughs> yes. you know, when we're having a look at, you know, virtual real estate, yeah, investors, I mean, last year sort of put in what, 500 million pounds, basically in virtual real estate. And everyone was going, but they're not buying real real estate. They're buying stuff that doesn't exist. So this is kind of the, the really fascinating thing about the metaverse. What we're doing is we're talking about a thing that's only recently got a definition that technically doesn't actually exist, but that actually has real impact in the real world. You know, so this is sort of where, you know, when we're having a look at the merging of the physical, digital and virtual worlds, you know, we really get into some headbangers, basically, when we talk about the art of the possible. Now, you know, as Remy mentioned, you know, we already see brands that are creating virtual products. So I typically argue that we're already living in this world where there are actually three economies. So we have the physical economy. So for example, I can buy a real pair of Adidas sneakers. You know, we have the digital economy where I can download and experience the Adidas fitness app like Runtastic. But then brands basically can create virtual copies or virtual editions basically of their different products, their different physical products like virtual sneakers 
which then means that companies like Adidas, for example, can sell a, a physical product, a virtual product, and a digital product. So this is where increasingly, when we have a look at product and product development, we get into this space of what we call phi digital products. So products basically that have, ironically, a virtual, a digital, and a physical component. Now, when we have a look at some of the things that brands are actually doing, I mean, I work with a variety of different brands. We've got brands that are creating perfumes in the metaverse, clothes in the metaverse, you know, handbags in the metaverse. So what we see is we see all these different brands around the world actually experimenting with the, the potential that the metaverse gives them. You know, so again, Remy sort of mentioned BMW. You know, when we have a look at an extension of the metaverse. The metaverse, we could kind of argue, is this simulation. We are seeing brands that's now using what we call creative artificial intelligences to design products in simulation. So for example, virtual reality-based drugs, or drugs rather, that are designed in virtual reality landscapes that are then eventually manufactured in the real world, but done so at speeds that were unimaginable even just a couple of years ago. So we're kind of in this really fascinating Wild West time at the moment. And we are already, I, I think, a little bit basically passing metaverse hype. You know, we're seeing the number of uh, mentions in AGMs of the metaverse actually decline as CEOs start going back to augmented reality and virtual reality conversations. But, you know, when you start having a look at this virtual economy, Organizations like JP Morgan, City, Goldman Sachs estimate that the metaverse slash Web3, you know, which isn't really a topic of this conversation today, is worth anywhere between eight to $13 trillion in addressable market opportunity. So it's either way, it's big, it's impactful. You know, we're seeing a lot of new, exciting things emerging. You know, some won't stick, but some things definitely will. Yeah, it's interesting you're mentioning those numbers. As I was looking at uh, the McKinsey report, which came out in June, so maybe it's already dated. Uh, but, but that report, value creation in the metaverse, suggested that it has a market potential of $5 trillion, which sounds like a lot of money, but not as big as the $13 trillion you were talking about. So this is sort of where anytime we see a new technology or new trend emerging, I always tend to feel that analysts rush to stick a big number on. It's like, let's stick a giant number. Like IoT, you know, we saw that with a couple of, should we say, unmentionable networking companies where the IoT opportunity was like four trillion, et cetera, et cetera. That's it. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, it's a good sized market, you know, irrespective of what number we actually do try and stick on it. Yeah. And I think it also depends, again, like going back to what we we're talking about initially about how you define terms. So... You could, you know, if we go back to your sneaker example, you could say, well, okay, there's a bunch of people who are going to buy digital sneakers, but then they're going to turn that around and say, okay, I want a custom manufactured version of this. And that, then does that number get added onto your estimate of the size of the market and the economic opportunity? So, you know, that there's, there's, I think, some things that people will think through over time about how that gets attributed. But, you know, that I think provides a good segue into talking about what it means for consumers of technology versus companies. So Remy, maybe you want to kick this off and, and then Matt uh, step in. Certainly, coming back to the five trillion, I mean, that's a huge number, I agree. But I mean, what's interesting here to take as a, as a reference is what the size of the digital economy today. So, I mean, if you pick report, you will find like in 2018, all the digitally transformed enterprise were accounting for like something like 
13 trillion US dollar of the global nominal GDP. And the forecast for two, next year, so 2023, is that this same uh, digital economy, so a digitally transformed enterprise, will account for 53 trillion US dollar. So more than half of the overall nominal GDP. Well, depending on how much of this economy, actually, this digital economy switch to metaverse-related experience, we can certainly reach this number because it's only 10%, finally. And if you think that every single industry may be uh, transformed at some point uh, by metaverse experience, then yeah, well, you, you probably add up to get your 5 trillion here. Um, now, yeah, I mean, what it means for enterprise, I think there are two, two things here. There are a bottom line uh, opportunity and a top line opportunity. When I say bottom line, it, you know, if you get these companies that will continue to do their digitization, and uh, of all their processes, it means they are trying to get, you know, more efficiently to develop their product, design them, maintain them potentially. So it's about saving money and, you know, going into the metaverse and this through this digitization. Yeah, and hard time to pronounce this word. Probably I should change it. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so it's, it's about saving money here. Um, and the other aspect, of course, is what every, everyone will think about is how do I create new or augmented product or services for my customers? But I think that these two aspects for enterprise. Now for consumer, this means that a lot of our live or play experience will switch to the metaverse. This means potentially new immersive personalized experience can be you know, in, in home, in your smart home, in retail, in hospitality, so wherever you go. And it certainly means you know, 3D virtual options that's open up for film, television, and music. And, that we, we will be able to consume. Um, so very interesting world, by, uh, for sure. So Matt, what does your time machine tell you? Yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to build on what Remy said. I'm going to actually flip it a little bit. So I'm going to start basically with consumer first, and then I'm going to go to enterprise. Now, yeah, about six months ago, basically, there was a, a large consumer electronics company which bought out basically a new connected home experience. But it was actually a metaverse connected home experience. And the reason why I'm sort of going to tell you this story is because I think this shows just exactly where a lot of companies are, are sort of trying to experiment with the metaverse to try to get their heads around, you know, what can we do, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and try and push some boundaries, but maybe in a slightly odd way. So this large consumer electronics giant ended up creating a metaverse digital twin of people's homes, people's connected homes. They would then let people sit in those virtual reality versions of their houses to then control their real houses while they were actually sitting in them. You know, so when we actually have a look at this kind of this metaverse Wild West, basically there's a huge amount of experimentation going on, but there's a lot of sort of crazy stuff going on as well. But from a consumer perspective, yeah, let's face it, you know, the, the metaverse's big ticket items at the moment really look along the lines of retail, entertainment. You can throw in things like collaboration and future of work in there. We've seen some quite interesting sort of uh, takes basically on the metaverse in the future of work. Now, when we actually start having a look at enterprise applications, there was a big US uh, university a little while ago basically that uh, found a way to improve the productivity of the workforce in virtual reality by about 30%. You know, now I know that a lot of executives will be listening and they'll be thinking, well, you know, how do I increase the productivity of my entire workforce by 30% by using virtual reality? 
And this is how this university did it. They gave the people's avatars a third arm and a third hand. So, yeah, and this is kind of, you know, when we talk about the metaverse, you know, a lot of us sort of often talk about the metaverse in linear terms. You know, if we're working in the metaverse, we still think we've got two hands, one head. I was going to say two heads, uh, you know, one body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the metaverse fundamentally lets us break all the laws of nature, all the laws of physics and everything else. So, you know, when we actually have a look at some of the enterprise applications now, you know, we move digital twins to meta twins. So we see two very large cities globally that are now developing meta twins as opposed to digital twins, with the idea being that their citizens can go to a virtual reality based town hall or police station to do whatever it is that they want to do. You know, we're seeing... Uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of some of the world's largest heavy asset manufacturers who shall remain nameless are uh, actually making products in the metaverse, you know, so they're, they're building products in the metaverse in virtual reality, testing them in simulation, and then using artificial intelligence to retroactively uh, adapt those products so that they can then be 3D printed in the industry 4.0 factory that has just been set up using a meta twin and optimized using artificial intelligence. Um, so, you know, so when we actually have a look at enterprise applications, yeah, there's there's a huge array that's going on at the moment. But from my sort of vantage point, I see a lot of experimentation to do with products, but then also a lot of experimentation to do with how companies fundamentally operate. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And and it, it actually segues into what I was going to talk about next in terms of near-term possibilities for meta, metaverse solutions. And Matt, I think you've outlined uh, some really interesting examples. Remy, do you want to add to that? In first thing, we, we, we are an hardware company, so we like to think about what's the hardware going to be for, for enabling this experience, you know, beyond the, uh, the, the experience itself. And and we've kind of been watching, you know, there's dizens of millions of VR users uh, virtual reality asset user worldwide, you know, with real application in gaming. And that's near terms that just now, and if, if it's even in the past, so I've been playing Tomb Raider here uh, already three, four years ago. And, and this was pretty real. And now what is important to look at today is that beyond these tens of millions of VR users, uh, there are billions of smartphone and tablet users. So in the next two, three years, I mean, got really the, the impression that we will see most of the metaverse experience being delivered through smartphone, tablet, and PC. But I think that's kind of near-term solution from an hardware standpoint that definitively makes make sense. And I will say, I even think that during this kind of near-term or early phase, let's call it of the metaverse, and maybe we can define it maybe later on, but. You know, hardware may even be less important than content and user base. So that's kind of uh, an interesting finding that uh, we, we got here. Well, just on that point, when we actually have a look at the meta, when we have a look at the metaverse, you know, one of the biggest barriers to entry to the metaverse is that today you've got to use uh, joysticks and you've got to use, you know, the, the big virtual reality headsets. But we're already seeing at least three organizations that are developing, that are developing, but have also developed virtual reality sunglasses. So, you know, we're all kind of familiar now with augmented reality sunglasses, you know, or augmented reality glasses, rather. That's it. But these new virtual reality glasses literally look like a pair of sunglasses. And they're actually, they're being built using a new kind of material called 
a nanoscale metamaterial, which means that you can have lenses in glasses that are atom thin, but still let the human eye focus yeah, on whatever it is that it's actually looking at in a relatively normal way, you know, with as well as with six degrees of freedom and so on and so forth. So increasingly in the next couple of years from a gadgets perspective, we could actually see slipping into the metaverse as easy as putting on a pair of sunglasses. And then as for those controllers, basically that we sort of talk about, you know, increasingly artificial intelligence is good at predicting our hand gestures and modeling our hand gestures, for example, as well as, well as our body gestures, which means we can get rid of those controllers. So we all know basically that when technology becomes invisible, that's when we start seeing adoption actually increasing. And certainly with a lot of the organizations I talk talk to, you know, we kind of posit this theory of in say three, four, five years time, do I give you a corporate laptop, you know, that costs what, three hundred, four hundred dollars? Or do I give you a pair of virtual reality sunglasses that cost maybe about the same, three hundred, four hundred dollars? that then let you move into the virtual reality world that is the metaverse to actually work where you're not constrained by one screen or two hands. You know, you can have as many hands as you like and you can have as many screens as you like and so on and so on and so forth. You know, so this is sort of where hardware is often not talked about enough, in my opinion, when we talk about the metaverse, but it's an integral and highly important part of the overall stack. And it's a very, very important piece of the jigsaw puzzle when we talk about adopting the metaverse. Yeah, and that really leads to the question of, and maybe Remy, you can kick us off. Who or what do you think will be uh, the winners uh, in expanding this metaverse? And, and who is it going to help the most? What is going to be the killer app? What is going to be the key hardware platform as we, just, we were just talking about it? Uh, what kind of you know, form factor would be the right one? And who is going to be the next social network or internet winner of the future? So is it going to be one of the current GAFA? Is it going to be new player? Well, um, if I have to bet here, I would probably first look at the personas of the, this key company. So what is the user based for their work, play or live experience? And I will certainly search for who is winning the digital generation today? This generation which don't really care about you know real travel, you know real interactions, for which a, a digital experience is as good as a physical one. And which company have started to win this persona? Now, if I'm kind of cross uh, all these things and those kind of matrix, there's only a few names that will pop up, and these are not the BMOs from today. Interesting. What do you think, Matt? Well, so yeah, so Remy mentioned hardware, and I, I really, I've been itching for a little while to actually just throw this one in, that's it, because yeah, I, I talked earlier about the metaverse not applying, yeah, the metaverse not being subject to the law of physics or nature or any of these kinds of things. Now today, basically, you know, we're still very much used to, for example, hardware. You know, if we have a look at the computers, basically, that we wear, if we have a look at the headsets that we wear and everything else, you know, they all have computer chips in them. They all have memory. You know, they've all got electronic circuitry and PCBs in them and so on and so forth. But the reason why I sort of want to go on a little bit of a segue here is because I think on the one hand, this is a fun one, but also actually it demonstrates basically the kind of new weird world that we could actually be going into that, again, a lot of people really aren't talking about. So. 
a little while ago, basically, we saw a bedroom hacker, essentially, basically creating a new kind of computer in Minecraft out of redstone. So this particular computer was about a one hertz computer chip. You know, it managed to play Snake. Um, and it was, yeah, in, in, in Minecraft terms, it was like 70 stories high. You know, it was, a, it was a monster. It was like a city block in size, but in Minecraft. Now, elsewhere, there was a there were a couple of universities where an artificial intelligence built a computer within itself that could then run another artificial intelligence that could then build a computer in itself that could then run <laughs> an artificial intelligence. You know, so at the moment, basically, we kind of live in this world where we we where we know that hardware is you know a physical being you know we all know about virtual machines with the likes of vmware and microsoft and all those kinds of guys that's it but yeah you know, what happens basically when you have the ability to create a computer in the metaverse that actually can do compute and calculations and so on and so forth that is also capable of recursive improvement because it's been built by an ai and the ai says you know, I'm going to improve this part of it, you know, this nanosecond. And in the next nanosecond, I'm going to improve this. You know, what happens basically when you truly abstract computer chips away from actual hardware and you end up building massive planet-sized computers, basically which you can do in something like the metaverse. I mean, the metaverse by definition has no bounds outside of the amount of physical compute that we have on earth today so you know so on the one hand you know when we talk about hardware i just want to sort of put that in because that's a really interesting conversation i don't think many people are actually even seeing let alone having and you know we can see some incredibly powerful computers coming down the line in a couple of decades time using that kind of construct um but then when we actually have a look at winners you know i think it's sort of as remy said you know, I'm and I'm going to throw I'm going to throw a stone into the pond on this one as well. Now we've got the traditional gaffers and fat bags and all that sort of stuff. You know, we know that Meta is actually trying to build a metaverse vertical stack. Now, part of the reason why Meta wants to build a vertical stack is because, unlike today, where they own your newsfeed and they own some of your messaging services and so on and so forth, if we build an entire virtual society within the metaverse then these large big tech companies can actually own everything from the payments layer, the collaboration layer, basically the smart contract layer, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They own the entire world. And I've actually got a couple of customers now that are literally building entire cities within the metaverse as we speak. And so, you know, um, but when we actually have a look at these big platforms, you know, we've got the big tech companies that we see today, both in the West as well as the East with Alibaba, Tennyson, Baidu, those kinds of guys. We also see the gaming companies, so sort of the likes of Roblox and Epic, as well as Minecraft, as well as sort of Minecraft, but more Microsoft in that construct. Um, however, you know, when we actually have a look, for example, at the vehicle space, you know, we've got organizations like Audi, basically, that have been building virtual reality worlds and constructs. Ernst & Young have been building virtual realities and uh, virtual reality worlds and so on and so forth. And so, as Remy said, you know, when you actually have a look at the kind of users, basically, that are trying to use these kinds of platforms, I think, basically, what you'll actually end up seeing is while there is a general belief with a lot of people that it's going to be the big tech companies that dominate the metaverse, I think what you're actually going to see is a much larger fragmentation, basically, of the universe until 
in about 10 years time, it starts consolidating down. And that's the most interesting, you know, so when we sort of talk about the metaverse, you know, I typically sort of talk in terms of the metaverse as being, you know, the metaverse is the equivalent of Earth. But then you have all these different platforms that make up the Earth, you know, which we sort of know as today as countries. Yeah, there are so many companies today, like Siemens, for example, who are building giant metaverse platforms that when we talk about who dominates the future, it's not actually guaranteed that it's going to be a giant tech company that wins or has, should we say, the lion's share, because there's always going to be more than one. You know, maybe what we're talking about, actually, rather than winners and losers, is really use cases and who's going to be able to, to create compelling or meet the needs of compelling use cases. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, if you have a look at, for example, things like healthcare and exercise, that could very well be one of the big sports companies. You know, when we have a look at, should we say, factory or industrial applications, that could be very well be one of the big you know, industrial organizations out there. You know, I sort of mentioned Siemens, but, you know, they are already building smart factories, Industry 4.0, but they're also metaverse factories as well that companies like BMW is already tapping into. So, yeah, absolutely. It could be it could be much more based on your experience. Like today, for example, you know, today, basically, we might actually share personally, we'll share our information on, say, TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever else it happens to be. That's it. So we have one kind of platform for our personal needs. But when we talk about business, you know, we've got databases, you know, we use Oracle or SAP or Microsoft or whatever it happens to be, you know, so it could very well be that we end up skipping between different metaverse platforms to achieve different things, which then means interoperability is key, because I want to be able to take whatever stuff I've created or done in one metaverse platform and transpose it automatically into the other one that I've gone into. And so interoperability for me is basically one of the burning questions that we actually see today. So what do you think, Remy? Do you, do you think interoperability um, is going to help drive um, more interesting use cases? Use case is the first thing you probably need to do to be able uh, to explore, to understand, you know, what, what's real, where is the money, what's the impact on my technology and what I should be exploring, you know now to enable this use case actually to 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 reach reality and and actually we've been spending a moment on that you know in the initial phase of exploration of the metaverse and we kind of ending up you know having like dozens of use case that we finally aggregated in four categories the four first categories actually we, we found the best, uh, best way to, to explain that is transcending time and place. So it's, yeah, it's about digital teleportation. It's about having a way to, you know, to, to, to travel the world in a digital way without you know, moving from your chair. And interestingly, you know, I was talking to some uh, travel companies. They like the idea, in fact, because well, think about what Matt was saying a bit earlier today. You can have a, you pay for real travel, and then you can replay it as much as you want in the metaverse, and eventually change a little bit the story, maybe if you want, because you know it's a metaverse, so you can probably do it. 
So yes, transcending time and place and with the number one use case, I think here is what I'm calling the Kingsman boardroom experience. This is kind of the next generation of immersive video conferencing. So you put your air glasses and now, you know, I, I see you in the eyes. I feel you're there. So I'm, now I can do this kind of co-creation. Uh, it can be training, education, you know, product development. So I was talking to companies that want even to use this kind of um, um, Kingsmat ballroom experience to co-create and co-develop product in the metaverse from sites that will be in India, other in China, other in Europe, and people can meet in this collaboration room, look at the device, touch it, and you know, decide whether or not it's the right device they, they, they want to create. So that's kind of the number one use case. Number two is, I will call it window into the unseen. So it can give, for instance, a repair crew, a realistic simulation of what's happening inside a running motor. Or likewise, similar application will enable surgeon to get an internal view of organs. So it's really, you know, seeing what you cannot see. Uh, num number three is uh, alternate reality. So we're all familiar with, you know, Pokemon Go. So, uh, but, you know, same thing could be used by cities and it's happening in Rome, for instance, today. They let you, they let the visitors, you know, examine lost archaeological wonder, you know, thanks to augmented reality. And, and finally, the, the last one is probably my favorite. It's expanding human capabilities. So we are kind of weak today and very limited when you think about the metaverse capability, which is infinite. You, know, you can do whatever you want in the metaverse, go anywhere you want. So yeah, you know, just think about real-time translation of everything you do. So you will be able to speak any language without even having to think about it. It could augment your five cents, you know, from, from thanks to the digital world. Or, or become your super digital assistant, you know, that basically you know, everything you, sh you, you know or knew, like, you know, where did I put my keys yesterday? Well, you know, the digital assistant just know because, you know, he has been able to store everything and, and basically can search for it. So um, there's kind of four use cases, the one we kind of aggregated. And, and what we are doing now is to look at each of them and say, okay, these are consistent use cases across multiple verticals. And then what does it mean in terms of hardware and technology we need to develop? So what are the key technology domains we should watch? Thank you, Matt and Remy, for that fascinating discussion. As you both defined the metaverse, explained what it is and could be, and also explored some very cool potential use cases, some of which are already happening now. Stay with us for part two, where Matt and Remy discuss the enormous potential and opportunities from the metaverse, including some of the likely early adopters and future experiences, as well as that sci-fi movies that the metaverse could closely resemble. Thank you and stay tuned for more metaverse discussion.